surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I am your host and today is a different episode. We have not covered anything like this on the pod before. So I'm really excited to share some of this with you guys and get into this conversation as we're going to be talking about hunting. And a lot of you have asked questions about like my eating habits and I'm mostly vegetarian. Um, So this will be a very interesting conversation to have. Uh, A lot of you guys know that I love going to the Ballard Farmer's Market. And uh, a few times I'd gone, I'd saw this man there and he had a little stand for to, to learn more about hunting. And I was like, oh, that seems interesting. And uh, then ended up meeting him at an event um, in Seattle at the works. And he has actually been hunting for about over 30 years and is very experienced in the Pacific Northwest and has these courses that he takes people out and teaches them how to hunt and kind of get reconnected with nature. And I just thought it was such a fascinating way to go about hunting and just kind of to look at life. And so uh, I'm really, really excited to get started with this conversation. And um, also small, small world of Seattle that Bruce actually is somewhat related to Bachelor Nation. So <laughs> let's get started here. Bruce, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a pleasure. And I appreciate that hunting is probably not on everybody's mind, but yes. food is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing everybody has in common. Yeah, definitely. And the one thing that I did not at all think that we would have in common was The Bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) So you actually went to college with Jason Mesnick, who lives here in Seattle. Yep. Yes, and he was The Bachelor and is married to Molly, who has a show here um, with iHeart as well. So super, super small world that you even... Even are related in some way to this world. I haven't taken Jason out hunting yet, but I have taken him out salmon fishing. So yeah. Maybe hunting's next. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so I just want to kind of get a little bit of like a backstory in some of this because you've been doing these courses now for, this is kind of like a, a newish thing, right? In the last yeah, few years. Three, four been, years. Yeah. That you've started doing the courses, but I'm curious if you can talk a little bit just about how all of this kind of came up for you and if this was something you like grew up around and yeah well i went to school at the university of washington yeah mm-hmm. uh, i went to the college of engineering got a degree and started working downtown here in civil structural design mm-hmm. for a private firm and uh exciting long story short <laughs> i mean it was good work and good people but i just wasn't yeah. feeling totally fulfilled mm-hmm. and i i mean even further back Mm-hmm. I've been hunting probably, hunting is probably something that runs in my blood and experience for the longest mm-hmm. amount of time. I mean, I literally grew up with it. My dad taught me to hunt. I, my earliest memory was, hmm. I think, when I was three. Wow. Uh, riding on on his shoulders when he was out pheasant hunting in the Columbia Basin. And yeah. I have this vague memory of a rooster flushing and him 
taking a shot. I don't know what happened, but it was quite it left quite an impression on me, mm-hmm. you can say. And <laughs> and um, you know, his dad taught him, and so on. And it's just mm-hmm. something that I grew up with. And hmm. and over time, I mean, there's I've experienced something really special about being out there, particularly just being in the hunt. Hmm. And it's something I wanted to share with people, but I never knew quite how to share it or incorporate it into mm-hmm. the other parts of my life. And as I had more and more time to just be quiet and kind of gra- get grounded and ask myself what I wanted to do with my time mm-hmm. here yeah, and what I had to offer the world, um, Those are some big it, questions. Became, it became clear that, uh, or for me at least, I wanted to address this, this issue that I think, um, you know, we've been disconnecting mm-hmm. from nature a little bit as a trend Mm-hmm. And I feel it's important to address that and offer opportunities to get reconnected on a fundamental level. And I think hunting is unique and it offers that opportunity to really become a participant in mm-hmm. our food, our ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, the circle of life and death. It, it, you know, yeah. it forces us to take responsibility for our actions, our yeah. food, what we're eating, how we're interacting with our yeah. environment. Which I think people are so disconnected from. Like and, and and I think a large part of that reason is because we don't want to. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty quick change mm-hmm. and thanks to you know, um, the world's a complicated place and and the industrial revolution changed a lot of things mm-hmm. and you know, our, our marketplace mm-hmm. and it became real easy to outsource a lot of things and yeah, Pretty and, short order we got out of the... Yeah, and to not, you know, I mean, when we go into stores now and even when we uh, buy food out, we're not really associating the fact that we're eating a burger and that that's like a cow. Like we're not making those kinds of connections to our food anymore. And I think in part, it makes us feel a lot more comfortable with ourselves um, right. because we're not having to face that. And so I like, I like how you said that by doing this, you've been able to kind of take accountability and, and responsibility for, for, you know, our actions and doing this. And it's, it's, to me, it's, it's such a fascinating way to go about participating in your food system. And, uh, one thing that I want to ask you is like, when I think, so I'll start with saying that, I'm not totally against the idea of hunting. Um, I am primarily vegetarian. I don't think I could ever personally kill something and eat it. Um, I also probably wouldn't survive very well in the wilderness. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, like when you when you look at how our marketplace has changed and we see this abundance of food that we have in our society and how much food we're wasting of why you would then go and kill an animal that maybe doesn't need to be killed because we already have this abundance of food in the marketplace? That's a good question. I'll start by saying I feel like we as a society, and or at least here in the U.S., mm-hmm. probably could afford to eat less meat. Yes. And, and I appreciate your comments about hunting. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. an easy thing to wrap your head around. Yeah. And it's hard to take it out of context too. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I like about killing an animal. Mm-hmm. 
Which I think and is like so unique to hear from a hunter. It's probably, yeah, true. And it's probably true for a lot of hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sitting here thinking about it, it's, it's nothing, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have the urge to go out there and shoot something. Yeah. It's only when I get into the process and particularly have a chance to get out there for several days and get into the hunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hunt is where the, there's a lot of work that goes into preparation and then the mm-hmm. hunt. And if you're lucky, you get a shot at something. And yeah. then there's a tremendous amount of work afterwards to haul hmm. that out of the mountains, process it, mm-hmm. and preserve it. And um, I'm trying to remember what's your original question. Why would I want to kill something? Yeah, um, when we have kind of this abundance of food. That- so, yeah, that, that's a really good question because, well, it, maybe it's counterintuitive, but I feel like, for me at least, mm-hmm. having these experiences, being connected to an animal... Now, spending time in its natural habitat, being part of its life and death, mm-hmm. and respecting that. Yeah. I mean, every ounce of meat I pack out of the woods, I take care of, I, I handle, I do all the butchering myself, I wrap mm-hmm. it for the freezer, and every piece I pull out and eat and share with friends and family, I'm very appreciative for. I don't waste anything. Mm-hmm. And we... One of the first meals we do at the at these hunting courses after we uh, teach people how to mm-hmm. butcher an animal is uh, our professional chef cooks fajitas with the heart and liver mm-hmm. and most of them don't even know that it's heart and liver it's mm-hmm. so good but it's this idea of using everything you possibly can hmm. and so to get back to your original question it's i think because of that connection that i have mm-hmm. and some hunters have to that process it demands a deeper respect for the resource. And so if I go into the store and buy something and forget to use it and it goes bad, so yeah. what? It's not a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have a connection to that yeah. meat or the food or the vegetables or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But being part of this whole process and, and seeing that wasted, it kind of hits me mm-hmm. personally mm-hmm. and you know, emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. No, it totally does. And and I can, and that's again where I was like, this would be a really interesting episode to do because I I think kind of your average stereotype of a hunter is, you know, at least in my head, is the guy in the South that's like, oh, I'm going to go shoot some deer and like just wanting to kill things just for the sake of killing them and being able to exercise their right to use their guns however they want. And um, certainly a part of that is, you know, we're going to eat the elk that I shot and, you know, we're going to use that. But I think maybe this is just in my stereotype of of my mind, but there hasn't been this emphasis on connection and um, appreciation throughout the process. And I think you're 100% right. Like I think a huge difference in, you know, purchasing the meat at the grocery store and going out and doing this kind of hunting experience is a huge lack of connection and appreciation. And the same for even vegetables. You know, when I go to the farmer's market and I get to meet the farmer and I get to talk to them and I get to, you know, purchase the broccoli that like, oh, I can only imagine how long that even took to grow and like how much, how many, how much uh, resources and energy had to go into that being able to, you know, then fuel and nourish me. Like Mm -hmm. you don't want to waste that. You want to use up every bit of it that you possibly can. And take that one step further. If you garden and grow your own produce, Mm -hmm. you know how much energy and time goes into it. And Mm -hmm. so to just watch that stuff Mm -hmm. go bad in the fridge is... 
and yeah. a waste of energy and effort. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to your earlier point, I, you know, part of the work I think I we have to do is creating a new name for hunting. Mm-hmm. Because there has been some some bad examples, and mm-hmm. there there's a variety of you know a whole spectrum of hunters out there, just like there's a whole spectrum of humans in society, mm-hmm. and it's often the bad news that gets shared, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Well, now we're sharing the good news. Now we're sharing <laughs> hopefully some of the good news, uh, but also to keep it in perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. talking about time here, it's you know last hundred years or so, a hundred years ago, plus or minus, we outlawed commercial hunting. Mm-hmm. So before that, there was, I mean, there, there was a lot of pressure on animals, you know, that's partly what wiped out the native buffalo herds because hmm. people were shooting them with their hides and their tongues and leaving them to, yeah, on the prairie. Uh, but if we go step back a further and say, you know, some of the best estimates by archaeologists are that there's been some form of human hunter-gatherer hmm. roaming this planet for you know, about two million, 2 million years. It's a long time. And if I was to spread out my arms, which are about six feet long, mm-hmm. and that represented 2 million years, and then we were to think about when agriculture and the written language started about five to 10,000 years ago, mm-hmm. which kind of shifted things a little bit, mm-hmm. that five to 10,000 years would be about the the end of my, the overhang of my fingernail, which is not very long. Yeah. It's a tiny little sliver in the whole six feet spectrum of kind mm-hmm. of the hunter, human hunter gatherer history. Mm-hmm. So this has been in our genes. It's been part of us. I think, you know, hunting alone is not the answer, but it's the mm-hmm. kind of the conscious connection that comes with it that could mm-hmm. be part of the solution. Because there's been examples of hunting societies in the past that have not managed the resource well and, mm-hmm. and over overdone it. Yeah. So I want to take a short break. I know that some of you who follow me and who listen to the podcast um, might be looking to start businesses or that you already run a creative business um, and want to share with you guys a sponsor for the podcast called HoneyBook, which is an online business management tool that lets you control your client communication, your bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. So if you're a creative freelancer or small business owner, HoneyBook helps you stay organized with custom templates and automation tools. You can even use HoneyBook to consolidate services that you already use like Google Suite, MailChimp, or QuickBooks. Um, It's really just your business. They're just helping make it a little bit better. Um, And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off your first year with promo code Taylor. Your payment is flexible. And this uh, promotion also applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So you've got some options here. Um, You guys can go to honeybook.com and use promo code Taylor for 50% off your first year. That's like really give it a go. Um, You can get paid faster. You can work smarter all with honeybook.com and use promo code Taylor. And now we can get back to the show. I hope that this is very useful for some of you. So make sure to check it out. I'm curious if we think about how long this has been in our DNA and um, just that small sliver of time that we've occupied and and how disconnected and how far away it seems from our you know innate nature now, where do you think that that uh, is hunting in in our genes in that way would have um, 
served a sense of, of purpose, some kind of an outlet. And now that we're not doing that, where do you think we see that outlet being used? That's a, a good question. And does it, that, does that yeah, question make sense? No, it, it does. And, <laughs> okay. you know, I'm not an expert on the history of yeah. violence or mm-hmm. things like that, but I wonder sometimes, I mean, I having grown up with this and being taught to respect firearms and, mm-hmm. and knowing that it just was not a toy and it was not something mm-hmm. to use other than in a completely safe way and in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I wonder if some kids had that opportunity in a healthy environment that if it would mm-hmm. avoid some trouble down the road. And, and we're trying to work part of that into our program in terms of providing opportunities for, say, inner city Mm-hmm. kids and folks that don't have much opportunity to experience yeah. this to uh, provide opportunities to get them out a little mm-hmm. bit and start shedding the light. I mean, it's a tricky subject, obviously, yeah. but I think there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, I remember one of the first questions that I asked you when, when we first started talking was like, how many women do you actually have that join you on these, you know, excursions and these adventures? Like, because in my head, I'm like, oh, this is probably just a group of men. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually pretty good, a quarter to a third, mm. typically. And about 20 years ago, my mom started a program called Washington Outdoor Women. Mm. And it's a nonprofit, women teaching women outdoor skills. But she recruited my dad and myself to help with the hunting course. And mm. We started teaching that. It was very, you know, it was pretty low interest back then. Three or four people signed up for the first one. Yeah. But over time, it became more and more popular and to the point where it was filling up quickly, you know, mm-hmm. 15 to 20 students, women. And, uh, you know, one of the things I start with, and it's just a four-hour course, a real quick overview of mm. hunting. And But we start with kind of a introduction of people and asking them why they're interested. And a lot of them share these stories of growing up in a family that hunted, but, you know, their dad took their son, their, their brothers out, mm-hmm. but never took them. You know, mm, it wasn't yeah. the, something that they were supposed to do. The last few generations was sort of like mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. now they're wanting to reconnect to that heritage. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's, I mean, it's talking about our DNA and our background and stuff, It's there's a lot of... There's a lot there I, I don't know. I can't really speak as an expert, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know if hunting is for everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe there was a percentage of the population that yeah. were hunters. And that were gatherers. That, some men, <laughs> some women, yeah, and some yeah. were gatherers, and maybe that gene yeah. carried down to some and others. I don't know. It's just a, Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what like my my thought process is here. It's like, okay, as we talk about, you know, the, the history of this and, and the genes being passed down and whatnot, like that would have more typically been for the males and that the gathering of the vegetables and berries and whatnot would have been through women. And um, I think that that's amazing that, that you have kind of almost like an equal balance here of men and women um, wanting to learn about this and going out and experiencing this. And I'm... And when I just think about like, if I were to go out there, I would have such an intense emotional experience. And I'm, I'm curious for you, if you've seen 
such a difference in like emotional reactions or spiritual experiences when you're out there for the men versus the women? Not really. I mean, mm-hmm. most of it <clears throat> would be, say, like during the courses where we mm-hmm. spend a day working on a large animal, you know, we teach them how to field dress it and skin it and butcher it, break it down like we would any deer or elk in the field. Mm-hmm. And the men and the women get right in there just the same. You know, sometimes the kids are a little bit yeah, not sure how to take it all, but they watch and kind of observe from a distance and pretty soon they're right in there curious, you know, and wanting to get hmm. their hands on it and work hmm. on it. Well, I don't know. I might just be real weird then because if I were to go out there and I want to, and that's why I'm hoping to like, okay, we're doing this episode now. And then maybe after I do an experience, we recap and do another episode on it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it's been so outside of my experience growing up um, that I I think I would just like, I would ball my eyes out. Like it'd be very emotional. It is. It is very emotional. Um, and I, you know, I've had a number of hunts that I've gotten up to something and I could have shot it, but I just, it didn't feel right. So mm-hmm. I, I held off and just sat mm-hmm. there and I was with, you know, kind of in the presence of it for a while and yeah. that was it. And that was enough. Hmm. And a, a big part of this really is the hunt, mm-hmm. which happens ahead of time. You know, it's, hmm. and that's why I didn't want to get into guiding and outfitting so so much because I feel like sometimes the guides are the ones doing the hunting. Mm-hmm. The clients are there to kind of follow along and hmm. and shoot when they're, when they're given the opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, it's not always like that, but hmm. but I think when in those situations the the person hunting you know the, the client or the person hunting is mm-hmm. missing a big part of the experience mm-hmm. which is getting out there on your own with some skills and confidence mm-hmm. to be out there on your own and kind of getting lost in the process mm-hmm. and then working to find your way to understand the landscape mm-hmm. the patterns of the animals understand your own intuitions and gut feelings as they come up That'd be so hard to trust. Wake up your uh, <laughs> senses in the process. Yes, it is. They are hard to trust, and I've. It's been over, you know several years of experiencing this mm-hmm. and I, learning that. But when I stop and listen to them, they often lead me to good things, even though they're sometimes crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just this unknown kind of feeling. Like, should mm-hmm. I go this way or that way? And when you're out there, there's no, there's no trails, there's no signs, mm-hmm. there's no nothing really i mean it's just wilderness yeah. and every step is a decision so that that's a pretty unique process i love to backpack and i've done it all my life and and uh, i really enjoy getting up into the alpine lakes and the mm-hmm. beautiful areas and that's that is a special connection to me as well yeah. and when i'm hunting there's something different it wakes up something different in mm-hmm. me it's uh i don't know if you can maybe relate it if you have a cat and your cat is i kind do of, have a cat Thank eating, you for asking. <laughs> eating his or her normal cat food, you know, mm-hmm. and just sort of like doing the day-to-day thing. And then you pull out a some sort of a feather toy. Yeah. And their eyes dilate and they get really intense. Yes. And they, they're paying attention. And that's... And it's good to do that part before you feed. <laughs> and I have done a lot of rescue work and dealt with like really cats and kittens that are just so hyper and like have had to, you know 
help other fosters and once a foster gets adopted of helping teach the you know new cat mom or dad kind of how to deal with it and it's like yeah you gotta do the hunt you gotta like play with them about a bunch get them panting like really get them worked up and then reward them with food after that and mm. it's they'll have such a different experience because that's like their natural um that, that's just the natural system that happens you know mm. they hunt they eat they groom and relax and they sleep yeah. And they kind of do that all over again. Um, <laughs> cats. Cats, um, yeah. But and there are wild cats out there, and we've yeah. encountered them in the, during hunting. That would be my favorite part. I, I would probably cry at just seeing a big cat out there like that. It would just be so beautiful. Um, but even how you talk about, like, the hunt itself, it sounds so much like a metaphor for life because you're like, there's no signs, you know, every step is a mystery. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of how we go through our day-to-day life. And you're sitting in so much uncertainty when you're out there that can be so difficult to sit in just in your daily life, let alone being out in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. um, just would really like exemplify that, that feeling. Um, yeah, I agree. And, you know, on a lucky, on a good year, I have, I can take off a couple, couple, three weeks in November mm-hmm. and go back to Montana and hunt elk mm. with some family and, and we'll pack our camp by foot up mm-hmm. from the end of the road, four miles into the mountains and we're mm-hmm. at about 8,000 feet elevation in November and we came from sea level. So you can imagine the yeah. struggles here for the first mm-hmm. days as we acclimate, uh, but, um, so we, we pack into camp and we have, it just, I totally lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? It's okay. That's a so, metaphor for I got life. I so excited about the hunt and thinking about next year. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's like a metaphor for life. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Happens anyway, to these, the these, these trips, um, the longer trips, but mm-hmm. having an opportunity to be in there for three or four days, you know, mm-hmm. to, to acclimate, get used to it, uh, makes a big difference. I mean, it's more than a weekend, quick weekend getaway. Yeah. Three or four days just to kind of get grounded and get settled. And then you have a week to hunt. Mm-hmm. And of of all the 52 weeks in the year, the, the second week of those trips and the week mm-hmm. afterwards kind of coming home are the weeks I feel the best all mm-hmm. year. And it's a combination of physical activity, I'm sure, and yeah. just breathing clean air and Mm-hmm. You know, being out there hiking every day, and uh, and just having that time to slow down, get grounded in something natural, mm-hmm. and um, connect to yeah. something bigger. You know, and start to see how this all fits together and how we're part of mm-hmm. it. So yeah. I think there's a lot of psychological um, opportunities in there to. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to benefit from. Yeah, definitely. And I, speaking of like psychological experiences, uh, I'm curious if you could list, if you could identify three feelings that come up for you, like when you're in the hunt. In the hunt. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because I get so focused. It's almost like a walking meditation. Hmm. And sometimes I'm not even... I'm I'm just focused on tracking. A lot of times, this is 
November and the mountains are mm-hmm. snow. So if I get on, find some fresh tracks, hmm. I might get on them and track them for several hours or several miles mm-hmm. through timber and clearings and over ridges. And yeah, so there's, there's certainly a sense of like uncertainty, like, mm-hmm. and sometimes a little fear, like how, how yeah. far out am I getting? You know, I still have to hike back to camp. Yeah. And sometimes I'm doing that in the dark for two hours trying to find my way back to camp. That's wild to me. Yeah. That's seriously <laughs> just so wild to me to even think of myself in that situation. <laughs> it, it is wild and it's very empowering. Yeah. You know, once you get the, the tools and the skills to be out there. And mm-hmm. it's not, I mean, it, we take a lot of precaution and are very yeah. safe. Because things can go wrong out there and you're a long ways from the hospital Mm -hmm. or even a road for that matter. Yeah. So, and there's no cell reception and... I can already feel the anxiety coming in. (laughs) Because those are all things I think of. I'm like, okay, where's the nearest exit? Like, where's the local hospital? (laughs) But more than that, it's the feeling when I'm out there is like being alive. You know, and just really being mm-hmm. a human, a human being and mm-hmm. doing what I was designed to do over the eons. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it can be a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. but there's something that kind of pulls me and draws me, you know, mm-hmm. to, to do more mm-hmm. and to go deeper. Yeah. I had a feeling that alive would be one of the feelings that you would list. Um, uh, and one of the things that I that I do very much appreciate about when you do these courses with people is that it's you also do kind of have this focus on like the meditative part of it and you have one like where you incorporate yoga into it and then it really seems and, and feels like this um, not necessarily even a specifically hunting course but like a course to just get back in touch with nature because I think we are so far disconnected from that. Um, and I'm sure I would imagine for some people, even just the fact that they don't have cell reception and can't get in contact with anyone for a few days is like a whole experience in and of itself, let alone, you know, getting in touch with these other parts of their senses and their awareness that they've, you know, neglected or didn't even know existed, Mm -hmm. um, that that would just be such a, such an interesting spiritual, very much so awakening experience to a lot of things. Yeah. And we do have cell reception at the cabin, okay. but I can take your phone away if you'd like. <laughs> I mean, in, in all actuality, it probably is more beneficial <laughs> to do it that way. But, um, so, yeah. But, and the four day courses, you know, the ability to do four days is partly mm-hmm. designed into it to give people the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Park the car and settle in for a while. Yeah, and uh, and part of it's just opening our home, you know, home of mm-hmm. some hunters mm-hmm. to people who are curious to experience that culture. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it, and to go back a step, this is really about healing the connection between humans and nature. Yeah. And hunting just happens to be a unique mm-hmm. opportunity we have, and something I know. Yeah, intimately that you're skilled in. Yeah. Um, but it's it's less about teaching people to hunt and it's more about healing that connection hmm. through hunting in this case or some other modes. Mm-hmm. And we have people come to the course that are not, you know, they're not, their intention is not to go out and hunt yeah. this fall. Yeah. But they're curious about it and they might do it 
down the line a few years. They might not ever do it, but they want to at least know what the culture is like, what it's like to mm-hmm. butcher and slaughter an animal and eat yeah. it, and what it's like to get out in the woods and track mm-hmm. animals and waken up those senses. Yeah, and which I do think... <sighs> I do think is important for people to experience, especially if they are meat eaters. Um, because one thing that I always say to people, you know, when they ask about my eating habits and being primarily vegetarian is that I say, you know, well, if I were faced with having to like murder an animal and cut it up and eat it and cook it, like I probably wouldn't be able to do that. So who am I to, you know, just purchase this and just cook it up and eat it and not have any kind of connection and not, not have any of that kind of accountability or responsibility that this was like a life that, that has been taken, um, for, for my purposes, like, uh, it just it felt it just feels a little weird and feels off to me and any time that i do eat meat um you know if i have some like a charcuterie plate or something i literally go through this mental process in my head of completely disconnecting from the fact that that is any kind of animal right like in order to be able to eat it i have to make that kind of a connection because mentally and emotionally to come to the terms with the fact that this was an animal, you know, like I love my cat. Like I would never want to do that. Uh, yeah, I understand. I think the commercial industry, the commercial meat industry has done yeah. a good job at mm-hmm. making that point of view mm-hmm. an easy one. Yeah. And we've been very blinded. And murder is an interesting word. Um, I know I got a little intense there. <laughs> it's, I've heard it before and I, um, and I have slaughtered a few animals and I don't mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And I would associate that word more with the slaughtering process and even more with the commercial meat industry. When you think about these animals just mm-hmm. packed in to mm-hmm. a room and yeah. without not much life yeah. or exercise and then mm-hmm. their day comes, their numbers pulled and they're, yeah. it's over. So you and differentiate the slaughtering versus the hunt? Definitely. Okay. Being out there hunting something, a wild animal has all kinds of opportunities mm-hmm take it away i mean they're mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point yeah their senses are way sharper than ours they're mm-hmm. well they're way less... more physically fit than us yeah for running through deep snow at elevation you know true they smell us from a few hundred yards away and they're gone and we never see them very true there are situations where you know people shoot deer from the road that mm-hmm. are kind of used to being around humans and that's a very yeah. different hunt i don't really consider that a hunt it's more hmm. of a a harvest yeah. you're really getting my brain here in the uh in the hunt itself because as you describe that yes that is very different actually um than what in our commercial factory farming is happening which where that really is more kind of what you would think of as a murder or a slaughter um, because the animals really stand no chance like right. they <laughs> literally zero chance at all negative chance um but th- that's interesting to to think about it in that way and i could see where it's i don't know i think at the, at the core level of it i would still emotionally see it as like I'm murdering an animal, even though it's like a, they have more of an advantage than I do. And it's kind of this, uh, almost like a game in a way that you have to play like a dance. Maybe dance is a better word for it. Um, where 
it would it would maybe feel less bad to do in the hunting situation. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's really hard to take out of context. Yeah, if you can imagine being out there in those conditions I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, if you hesitate for ten seconds or two seconds or mm-hmm. even a half a second, sometimes yeah. your opportunity is gone. Mm-hmm. And so you've got—I mean, it helps to be mentally prepared and to a point of mm-hmm. wanting to take that next step. Yeah. And that's that takes time, and it might be that the first several or many encounters you have with animals out hunting mm-hmm. are like that. They're just fleeting glimpses because you're not yeah. ready to go over that, take that next step. Mm-hmm. But you're How, still being out there. You're still out there. I think benefiting from the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I'm curious for you how you go about kind of teaching these tools for people to be able to really be present and, and engage in that kind of an experience when, you know, I'm sure having people that have never done anything like that before, like what are those tools and how you get someone to that place? Well, part of it's, you know, having time to work with a live animal and mm-hmm. just to step back a little bit there, we, this is, these are out of, these courses are outside the hunting season. Hunting seasons are pretty short in the fall mm-hmm. and not enough time to teach people and, and hunt. Yeah. So we work with a local farmer who raises lambs. You know, we use a large lamb, and it is a it is a slaughter. But we have we ask that the farmer does it where the lamb is in a mm-hmm. you know a farmyard, free range, and yeah. and used to be in there. They're in comfortable surroundings, so it's a pretty quick process. Mm-hmm. And then they bring it over and drop it in the woods. I run a blood trail out to it, and people then track through huh. the woods to find the animal. We get to work on it like we would any wild animal. And there's been a lot of conversation about why don't you bring the lamb over and slaughter it in front of the people? They need to experience that. And I, I've not, I don't want to go there because this is one of the first things we do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I mean, the, the kill, I think, is something you work up to mm-hmm. and you, you earn over time. It's not something to just throw around or start with. Absolutely. And so getting back to your question, how do you teach that yeah. and prepare people for that? It's, a, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And part of it is you know, taking time to have some dialogue around mm-hmm. the dinner table or the fire pit in the evenings and share stories about the mm-hmm. emotional journeys and the challenges yeah. that come up. Um, and the other part is, I mean, that that's part of the learning process. That's part of the experience. Mm-hmm. And part of what we're trying to do is give people the skills and the tools to get out there and have those experiences because mm-hmm. I think that's the only way to really really you know connect with those things it, mm-hmm. you can't really read about it or watch a video yeah. about it you've got to be out there mm-hmm. doing it and if you can be out there doing it by yourself at your own pace I think that's going to be the best rather than mm-hmm. having someone next to you saying shoot shoot or yeah. you know whatever yeah that would not work for me <laughs> Um, I'm like, have you ever had someone that's came out with you and legit just had like an overall like meltdown or like complete like spiritual awakening? We've had a few. I'm thinking of uh, one gentleman who joined us with his son one year and came back the next year with his son and daughter, mm-hmm. and he he uh, considers himself a mostly vegan yogi. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he spends a lot of time with 
Alma traveling around the world with her, if you're familiar with her, the mm-hmm. woman that gives the hugs. Mm, yes, yes. Um, and he, you know, this was really not on his radar and he kind of stumbled onto it and mm-hmm. was curious. And uh, I think he had a really good experience and just kind of an eye-opening experience to the whole process. Mm-hmm. And I think he's someday thinking about working up to doing some significant hunting, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something he had to get out and do right away. It's yeah. just more taking these steps, understanding mm-hmm. how it all works. And it gave, I think it gave him a, a better, a different appreciation for meat, where his meat comes from and yeah. what he's eating when he chooses mm-hmm. to eat meat. And then would that not make you just not want to eat the meat overall? What meat? Like having that experience, like, this guy, you know, coming in and as a, as a primarily vegan and seeing all of that. And I think, yes, you definitely gain a greater appreciation for meat, but then do some people just take that the total opposite way and are like, yeah, and that's why I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> I haven't had anyone like that yet, but I, I've always told myself and others that if somebody had that reaction mm-hmm. and decided to give up all forms of mm-hmm. meat protein, particularly the factory farmed and yeah. commercial meats, I would feel that that's also a success mm-hmm. because we're at least waking people up to the fact that our commercial meat industry is a little bit yeah. problematic. Very, very. Um, and then, I mean, when we spoke, you you don't eat meat very often. Uh, when you go out and you hunt, then you eat that meat. Um, but in terms of actually purchasing meat like in Seattle like and when you eat out what did what do those eating habits kind of look like for you and I'm curious if there's a emotional component that comes into that there's somewhat emotional and somewhat psycho- psychological you know mm-hmm. thinking about <clears throat> where this whatever's come from and yeah. I I I guess I I eat out less and less because mm-hmm. I've have such good food available to me and I enjoy mm-hmm. cooking it and I know where it's from and yeah but of course there's that occasional time when you're just out of the mountains and tired and mm-hmm. and uh, about too many calories short yes. and you need the, a quick burger or something <laughs> so yeah. um it's not perfect but I do my best to try to find stuff that is mm-hmm. at least farmed locally or something, but you never know for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't have the same connection and and good feeling about Mm -hmm. that food when I eat it as I do with, say, thawing out an elk steak and eating that. And and it's a much different experience. Like, I know where this came from. I mean, I know I cut this off the animal. I tracked this animal Mm -hmm. for five days in the mountains and packed it out on my back or in a sled yeah. and processed it. And those kind of those emotions and experiences come up a little mm-hmm. bit every time I eat a little bit of that. And there's, hmm. and thinking about the energy, maybe the potentially intrinsic mm-hmm. energy and uh, something like that hmm. versus uh, something farm raised stuck in a, a cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've said before that, something like we've we've made it easy on ourselves at the expense of the animals mm-hmm. over time because mm-hmm. 
it is it is difficult sometimes, but it because we've made it easy because we've we don't want to go there mm-hmm. or because it's been extracted out of our society, we've put that burden on the animals, so now they have hmm. less natural lives, they're slaughtered yeah. and processed without much thought or heart in the mm-hmm. process. So it's interesting. I mean, I don't want to get too philosophical or preachy, but it's okay. Uh, go there. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like to preach hunting. I mean, I part of I often ask myself, should we be hunting? What is mm-hmm. what does it really mean to be a hunter in this day and age? Yeah. And are we evolving out of it? I don't know. But it's, yeah. it's been part of our history for so long, and history doesn't necessarily dictate the present or the future. Mm-hmm. However, I think there are a lot of things in this world that we're just we'll never know. Yeah. And you know, I've well, accepted that we're this is who we are and this is how mm-hmm. we've existed on this planet. And if we just pull this component of hunting out and throw it away, mm-hmm. we might be throwing away something that's critical to who we are yeah. and, on this planet. Yeah. And and I mean I think that that all kind of partially partially goes back to one of my initial questions of like, you know, what is the purpose of, of or, or why would we um, go and, and hunt when, you know, we have just such this abundance now um, that, you know, is there a, a real need for that? And I think like you, like you mentioned, you know, there, there's more to it than just the actual hunt and just, or, or than the actual kill maybe. Um, but just having that whole experience can be very reconnecting to nature. And I think there's a whole, uh, kind of subset of our brain that is very much neglected in our concrete jungles of where, you know, being out in nature can be so therapeutic and feeling connected is like at the core being of who we are and what we need in life. And so the fact that, you know, going out and being, um, and interacting and experiencing nature gives us such this connecting experience. It's like, going and being involved in that, I think can help with so many things. It can be so therapeutic. And, um, it's, I think less of like, should we even be teaching people this or should we even be participating in the hunt and more of like, how can we make our farming and our agricultural system actually look more like this natural system? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And that's a big question and <laughs> undertaking. I know, I know. But I think that when you, I think that even just providing these courses for people and opening their eyes open, opening their eyes open, uh, opening their eyes to this kind of experience can help just kind of people take that extra step when they are at the grocery store of questioning like, huh, like I actually don't know where this came from. I don't know what's in it. I don't know how this packet, like all these things, all these questions that you start asking yourself that, you know, kind of helped mold my food journey of becoming more vegetarian of like really wanting to know the answers to some of these questions. And we may not be able to like overnight, you know, totally change factory farming and all of that. But I think that think that the more educated we are and the more connected we become to our food, that it's, you know, we vote with our dollars. And I think the more that we can kind of push some of those things out, um, that the the better everything will be. <laughs> I agree. You know, it's we're certainly in an interesting time in history mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of change. Yeah. And you know, it's it's easy to get uh 
overwhelmed by it all mm-hmm. sometimes and just want to forget about it and or yeah. turn the other way. It's so easy to do that, you know, to just go out to a happy hour with friends and just, you know, just eat whatever is there because you got to eat so you can drink so you'll be good. Like yeah. all these things that it just, it is so much easier to turn a blind eye. And that's why I think having conversations like this are so important because they make us a little uncomfortable and it's like, uh, can be a little scary to talk about because then it's like once you know this stuff then it's like oh shit like now i maybe got to do something about this because it can kind of start to elicit this feeling of guilt of like you know i know i feel that when i'm like eating charcuterie plate i'm like "Mm, i don't feel good about this (laughs) and it'll encourage me to be like you know i'm gonna eat the nuts off of this plate more than i'm gonna eat the charcuterie meat (laughs) um but that it can in a way help um help us to make better decisions when it comes to our food because ultimately it's going to make us feel better with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe another way to look at it is to slow down and really ask ourselves Mm -hmm. what kind of experience do we want out of life? Yeah. You know, do we want to take more control about our, Mm -hmm. our journey? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, are we happy letting other people, Mm -hmm put everything in front of us in a nice, nice neat package. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we've got a limited amount of time on this planet, at least this mm-hmm. go around. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I think more and more about that and, and how, how, so how there's so much potential in the, the natural mm-hmm. world to reconnect that way to something mm-hmm. deeper and, and grander. Yeah. And we also, uh, are running the risk of losing a lot of that opportunity. I mean, as more hmm. people get disconnected here, mm-hmm. they don't care about what's happening in Alaska with the gold mines and, you know, somebody's going to make how many billions just by yeah. getting the thing signed so they can extract a bunch of gold at the expense of probably ruining a couple of salmon rivers, which yeah. is the pebble mine, if you're not familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So speak out against it. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of examples like that. And mm-hmm. and the less we are connected to nature, the less we care about it, yeah. the more people can exploit it, mm-hmm. take advantage of it, and then it's gone. Yeah. And then we're kind of in a And then we're no longer here. Situation. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually at that point. <laughs> I mean, we can survive an ec- economic crash, but we cannot survive an ecological crash. Yeah. The earth can, but we can't. Yeah. It's, I mean, we take something so small and um, what can seem so simple as just what we're going to put in our mouth, what we're going to eat for the day. You know, we eat so many times a day and it seems like such a simple, just normal act that we do, but really it can expand out to so many different layers of life and everything that it's, it's, it's so mind blowing, but at the same time, it literally is. It's like, oh yeah, like it's just this simple step. And then I'm actually impacting all of these other layers with just this one small step, just changing of like, am I going to purchase this meat at Costco? Well, not Costco actually kind of does a good uh, job the, sometimes. <laughs> the big box grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big box grocery store. $2 a pound store. or whatever. Yeah. Or going to your farmer's market and, you know, purchasing something that's going to be local right. and connecting with that farm. And 
one of like my favorite things with going to the farmer's markets. And when I lived in Baltimore, I did this, you know, I, I did eat a lot more meat then. And, um, I got some like breakfast sausages and I'd get chicken and ground beef from this one farmer in Baltimore. And then literally, you know, my boyfriend and I at the time, we were able to literally go to that farm and like hang out with his family and like see all the pigs and the piglets and the cows and like literally saw how everything was happening. And it was so fun just like to be connected in that way and to be like, yeah, like this is, they care so much about these animals and they are being so well taken care of. And like they're, you know, just really getting back to like the core of life and teaching their kids this. And it's just like, it was such a different experience of like, I feel so much more connected. I feel so much healthier. I feel just better about myself in making this decision to like help his family and help, you know, the animals that are there and so that they can do more of that. And again, that voting with your dollar just felt so empowering and it's such a different experience than going to a grocery store. Yeah. Such a different experience. That sounds like a Portlandia episode going out to the <laughs> farm. And, but it's a great, great example. And I really like the smaller scale, you yeah. know, human scale, pedestrian scale mm-hmm. encounters. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the smaller interactions are, mm-hmm. for me, a lot more deep, deeper. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, even in teaching what you teach where, you know, people literally could be doing some of this on their own. And I think when you do have these small pockets of, you know, local farmers who care about sustainability and again, it's like their families are living right there, you know? So like they have a lot more invested in this and it's not, you know, a huge corporation saying you have to grow this amount of corn so that I can do this with it. And, you know, I just think People are so much more connected and they and they care so much more about what their quote unquote products are um, that it's it's feeding into your community it's feeding into you it's feed, like feeding into your own mental health and um, I just I could go on and on about it because I think it's just a fantastic mm. thing and we really do have so much power in terms of where we purchase our food from and from I mean we're from nature yeah ultimately yeah it it does kind of feel like going home Mm -hmm. when i'm out there in the thick of it Hmm. so have you done any gardening (laughs) (laughs) yes um i had a big garden in baltimore um and actually had a farmer who was right down the road from me like a it was pretty decent sized urban farm. And, um, he actually came and like helped me sow my, (laughs) my little garden plot and, um, had that there. And then now here I just have a balcony. So I have a bunch of pots out there. And last summer I grew all these tomatoes and it was just every single tomato I had, I like cherished the fuck out of. I was just (laughs) like, Oh, like how expensive it was to purchase the soil, to purchase the pot, (laughs) you know, the water, like it's just you such an appreciation for it. And it is such a labor of love. Mm -hmm. Like and and I would always joke that, you know, when, when my garden's thriving, it's because I'm thriving and like the, it picks up on my energy. You know, if I'm not doing well, like my garden's not going to be doing well, yeah. <laughs> but it's a reflection <laughs> of me, <laughs> but it's, um, 
it's I'm sure different and I'm sure similar in some ways to like the hunt itself. And um, that is one thing I love about the courses that you're doing is that there is such a variety of things. And so you just did like a shell fishing excursion and uh, you have one that's like with foraging and not necessarily hunting. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's where I start with foraging (laughs) over the hunting. (laughs) But I, Overall, I mean, I still just think it's an amazing step. Thank you. So how would you feel about having a hand in processing an animal and then curing certain muscles with salts and whatnot, maybe smoking them, cutting them thinly and laying them out on a nice charcuterie plate? If this podcast was video recorded, I would look like the Chrissy Teigen meme right now where I'm like, ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know because honestly, I don't even touch raw meat. Like I have such a – someone actually had emailed me and asked if I could cover like uh, being a hypochondriac in an episode. <laughs> and I just think, again, there is such a lack of trust for me in our agricultures, agricultural system um, that – Literally, I got to the point where I, you know, I don't even trust touching raw meat and I'm such a spaz about it. And when people cook it in my apartment, I'm like, is that washed? Is that sanitized? Like that needs to be like everything needs to be very clean and organized. And that's one of the reasons why it makes it kind of easy for me to be more vegetarian is because I won't cook raw meat because I don't want to touch it. Yeah, nobody needs a dose of mad cow. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't want to get anything from that. So I don't know. It would be, I would really, really have to challenge myself in stepping outside my comfort zone in doing something like that. And I do have such an immense appreciation for the for the people that do do it. And, you know, I I think it probably would be good for me to try it, but it hit... Um, It'd Something be, to think about. It'd be an emotional experience. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it's again. I think it's worth it. I think all those times that we embrace kind of this discomfort and some of the fears that we have, um, it's it, it pays off, and that's kind of where the magic happens and where where you feel connected. And and I can totally see where you know you said you literally have this such a small window, even when it comes to the hunt that. I'm sure if you do actually get that after all the work you've put into it, that it's like empowering. And I feel like if I put myself in in the shoes of that person doing that, I would almost feel surprised and like proud of myself of right. like, oh my God, I just did yeah, that. Like, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot to think about. <laughs> and, it, and again, it's hard to take it out of context. I mean, sitting here yeah. thinking about it is, is much different than yeah. being out there hunting yeah. And even being out the course, I mean, like, again, you know, having a few days to settle in and mm-hmm. and be with people and build that camaraderie and have that yeah. experience out in nature. I mean, yeah. we've got a beautiful setting with a log mm-hmm. cabin and yeah. can't see any other structures or you can't hear mm-hmm. the freeway. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure it is. It's again, I think we can change. So like our environment really helps mold us. And I'm sure different parts of us end up coming out in that experience that we wouldn't think. And yeah. context, I mean, we could not be farther away from that context currently as we sit in the middle of downtown Seattle in a WeWork. <laughs> so <laughs> very, very far from that context. <laughs> but I, I appreciate the, even just the imagery that you've given 
in this conversation because it has allowed me to put myself a little bit more in that place. And, you know, I was just recently in Whistler and that was all so beautiful and just being around nature and in the mountains. It just, it's such a different feeling. And I feel like we're so spoiled here in Washington state to have such easy access to all of that. Um, but it's, it's all, it's all super amazing and I think very impactful work that you're doing. Um, and if, if someone wanted to check out some of these courses and wanted to maybe ask you questions or anything, where would you say they could find you or kind of get in contact? Well, through our website at humannaturehunting.com mm-hmm. and uh, also social media, Human Nature Hunting, mm-hmm. Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook as well. Yeah. But there's... Really, the website has most of the information and contact info there, and I'm happy to mm-hmm. have a chat with anybody who's interested. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this and talking with me about it. It's certainly, I have felt uncomfortable in it, <laughs> just thinking about some of it, but but it's all good, and that's that's why we need to talk about this kind of stuff because it's so, it literally is at the core of our life. So... Let's talk about it. Yep. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. And um, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you guys have any other questions, you can always shoot an email to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And as always, love, love, love checking out your reviews and your ratings on iTunes. So feel free to head over there and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. And that does it for today's episode. I hope you guys learned something new and hopefully you guys can kind of take a step and, you know, vote with your dollar and challenge yourself in new and uncomfortable experiences and have a wonderful rest of your week. And I'll talk to you next time. is brought to you by wave podcast network check out all of our shows including the brain candy podcast i don't get it coffee convos and let's talk about it surgeons keep our hearts beating they do the amazing help save lives and so can you your csl plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.